Hello and welcome to another episode of T-Rex Talk. This uh, this episode is called Drone Wars Season 2 because several weeks ago I recorded an episode called Drone Wars Season 1, which was a uh, Star Wars joke. Uh, but I should have actually called it Episode 1 because now I could say Drone Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Drones. And then I could uh, have a Yoda voice say, Begun, these drone wars have. I'm not going to do a Yoda impression. Begun, the Clone War has. But the jokes kind of write themselves. You fought in the drone wars? Yes, I was a drone pilot like your father. In that previous episode, which I called season one, we talked about just kind of an overview of drones, how they came about, what they've been used for, why the technology looks like it does now, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I asked on an Instagram uh, post what people really wanted to hear about for the next few episodes of this podcast. And I got a lot of requests for drone stuff, practical drone usage for civilians. I also got a lot of requests for stuff that I know nothing about. So <laughs> we're talking about drones. But drones do indeed have a lot of practical uses for regular folks. They are heavily used by the military, obviously. They are increasingly used by law enforcement, which I'm going to touch on later. But they, they're actually extremely practical in a whole bunch of different ways for regular, dirty civilians like ourselves. And I'm not even talking about in a collapse or combat scenario. I'm talking about just sort of in general. Obviously, uh, most... Consumer drones are built with filmmaking in mind, and they would enable you to get incredible shots for your travel YouTube channel, stuff that you could only have dreamed about in the past. They let you send your camera to places that uh, are rather difficult to get to in person or too dangerous to get to in person. So I guess drones are a little overused now. When I see sweeping drone shots in a YouTube video now, it's it's pretty... <laughs> It's pretty ho-hum for me, as it probably is for you. But that is a massive change and uh, can still be really well used, even though it's a little overdone. But even for um, just kind of general everyday use, drones are really handy. When we at T-Rex bought the building uh, that we are in right now, we used a drone to look at the roof to see what kind of shape the roof was in. That was a really super handy thing. It took uh, way less time than climbing up there. It was no big deal. And we got way better documentation of the state of the roof than we would have if we had gone up there and walked over every inch of it trying to find rusty spots. When we bought um, the property that is now the T-Rex range, we flew a drone over big sections of it and got a really good idea of what it looked like. And since it was all video recordings, uh, we were able to go back and look at those and sort of plan out the range um, with that footage and those photos. Uh, technically, this may be commercial use, according to the FCC, that requires a different license. But I kind of, I, I don't really think so, because we're buying and selling property is not our business. So taking the drone for a nice fly uh, over a piece of open property uh, sounds far more recreational to me than anything that would require a special license, but there you go. But this kind of site survey stuff, this kind of sending a drone up to see what your roof looks like, sending a drone up uh, to look at property, sending a drone up to have a better perspective on what flat part of your land you actually want to put raised beds on or figuring out your drainage. This is something that is made tremendously easier by drones, something that costs a few hundred bucks and you can keep in your backpack. Outside of tactical surveillance uh, and various other really cool collapse or invasion-based applications, uh, there are a whole bunch of ways that you could use drones in your everyday 
activities. I do have a quick correction, though. In the last episode where I was talking about uh, emergency communications, I was talking about the fact that I wanted a RTL SDR set up for my roof so that I would have a drone detection system just built into my home security system telling me when drones approach at all times. I was actually wrong about that because that particular SDR device uh, can only see up to 2.2 gigahertz and most drones are communicating at 2.4 gigahertz. So that um, that device can't actually see drones. And a lot of drones now communicate over the 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi range. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, that device will not work. I was wrong about that. I've been spending a little bit more time with the HackRF SDR device. And it can see up into those, um, those higher, higher frequencies. So I, I forgot. But do not try to look for drones using your basic uh, RTL SDR device. Uh, it cannot see that high. I've also talked in the past about the Parrot and Naffy, my current favorite drone uh, to use. There's a bunch of reasons that I don't particularly like the DJI drones for a lot of different applications. And I talked about those in the previous drone episode. The main reason is because they are so integrated with a whole bunch of smart servers and there's so much telemetry to use them. And so much of that telemetry goes back to their servers uh, in China, which is very frustrating because DJI actually makes some of the best drones. They're really pushing the envelope on a whole bunch of drone technology. And one of the best uh, the best parts of the DJI ecosystem is their radio communication. It's a proprietary thing that they've built called Lightbridge. I think they're up at Lightbridge 3 now. Lightbridge is amazing. They're able to send video back to the base station and send controls from the base station to the drone at tremendous range and very, very, very low latency compared to drones that generally use a more off-the-shelf solution like Wi-Fi. So that is the weakness of Parrot's Anafi system. It has uh, a Wi-Fi-based connection. Uh, so you're using kind of standard Wi-Fi to talk from the controller to the drone and from the drone back to your screen. But uh, it's a pretty good implementation of it, and that Wi-Fi connection isn't really the end of the world. One of the advantages of that is it brings the cost down. The other advantage is that unless you're working in an urban environment, there's a lot of that 2.4 gigahertz, 5 gigahertz spectrum that is free. You're not going to deal with too much interference, and you're not going to draw too much attention to yourself. And people with RTL SDRs mounted to the tops of their houses won't be able to see you because they can't, uh, they can't get into that range. And the limitations of the off-the-shelf Wi-Fi system are really not that bad because as long as you are flying the drone uh, sort of in eyeshot, you have line-of-sight radio to the drone. Most controllers have a pretty directional antenna, and if you're sort of facing the drone, you have a pretty good connection there. So you're able to go out a lot farther than you probably think just with that standard Wi-Fi implementation. But the DJI solution is superior in a whole bunch of different ways. Range, definitely. Quality, probably. Latency, a lot faster connection between the two. But the advantage of the Anafi drone is that you can buy a version that has been made in the United States. You can install the app on your phone 
and uh, never connect it to the internet and fly the drone without the inter- the drone ever needing to phone home. You can fi- fly the drone anywhere. You can fly the drone uh, inside of no-fly zones without having to ask permission of uh, the DJI servers. You can do a whole bunch of stuff with it because it is just a simpler drone. I don't fly drones all the time, so it's very annoying for me when I pull uh, a drone out of my backpack and uh, I charged it the night before, but I didn't connect it to anything. I go out to the place where I want to fly it, and it tells me, you can't fly this drone until you've downloaded 600 megabytes of updates. And the nice thing is the Anafi never says that. The Anafi, if it is allowed to connect the internet, will tell you if updates are available, but they will let you fly regardless. And there's another drone company that I'm very interested in, even though I don't have any of their product yet, and that is Skydio. I've talked about Skydio in the past. They have a slightly different approach to drone stuff than DJI. DJI is making the ultimate consumer experience with their drones. They're trying very hard to be the Apple of drones, and they work very closely with Apple, and you can find DJI drones inside of Apple stores, etc., etc., etc. The Skydio drone is a little bit different. I think the build quality is fine, but their focus is not on the perfect user experience. Their focus is on building out an AI platform where this drone can fly itself. It has tremendous obstacle avoidance capability, so you don't even have to be at the controls. You simply have to tell it that you want it to follow you or want it to follow something else or want it to do a particular movement. And then it will do that. Even if you're in the middle of a pretty dense forest, it can find its way through and make all of the piloting decisions on its own. Now, as a filmmaker, I kind of like the idea of me being at the controls. There's a bunch of scenarios in which having uh, instant real-time control of the device makes a lot of sense. But then there's a lot of times when that isn't what you want to do. You actually want the drone to be smart enough to make some of those decisions on its own. And this is one of the big differences between the Skydio and the Parrot Anafi. One of the things that uh, I thought I liked about the Parrot Anafi and still kind of do is that it has, not only does it have no need to connect to servers and phone home, it also has no real obstacle avoidance sensors at all. It has no idea if it's about to crash into a tree. And I thought, this is fine. I will get a cheaper drone and then I won't crash it into a tree because I will be paying attention to it. And I believed that right up until like two seconds before I got it stuck in a tree. So be honest with yourself about your drone piloting capabilities, your spatial awareness capabilities. When you are trying to see something really clearly on the screen, are you actually sure you're not going to back it into something? This is one of the advantages that the Skydio does have, but it comes at, uh, at a cost. Their cheapest drone package is more than twice what the Parrot Anafi costs you brand new. And I'm sure that there are used Anafis out there that have been rescued from trees and are just fine. But one of the interesting things about Skydio, in addition to being built in the United States and being available at a pretty good price and having a very novel approach to how it actually works, is they were at SHOT Show. They were not at SHOT Show demonstrating their $1,000 consumer drone. They were at SHOT Show demonstrating their, I believe, $12,000 industrial drone called the X2. This is a drone that is more built for commercial purposes, uh, for law enforcement, has a thermal camera, it has a bunch of other attachments. Um, But the fact that they are really going after both consumer and commercial drone users at different levels and trying to do it all in the United States is uh, is really interesting to me. So they're definitely a company to watch. And depending on your use cases, that, um, that Skydio 
drone, maybe something that is worth looking at. I, I do really want to play with one of those and see and see what we can actually do with it. And the self-flying ability is pretty good. They're mostly advertising it on the consumer level at uh, extreme sports people who want a drone that can follow them without having a professional drone pilot to do the actual work. So you get up to the top of a mountain on your mountain bike, you tell the drone to follow you, and then you do your run. And at the end of it, you have really nice footage of you doing your thing, regardless of what obstacles were in the way, and you didn't have to give it any thought. But that automated capability actually has some other uses too. So on the more commercial side, they're definitely leaning into the fact that this is a device that can go off and do site inspections on its own. You tell it the level of detail that you want of the areas, uh, the areas that you want surveyed on a bridge or a structure or something like that. And it goes out and it actually gathers that data and brings it back to you. It's 3D scanning photogrammetry capability uh, is extremely high. That's something that is sort of built onto DJI drones by third-party folks, but this is something that is very much inside of the DNA of the Skydio, this sort of automated thing. And there's there's a time and a place where that is actually highly superior. If you are a very small team and all you want is uh, something that is in the air following your team and you can occasionally look at uh, what it is seeing ahead of you, that is probably superior to having an actual dedicated operator. If you're doing SAR stuff, you're doing the search and rescue or search and recovery thing, flying a grid and using a thermal camera to send back pictures of only thermal signatures and drop the location of those thermal signatures uh, as a pin on a map that you can see, that is actually superior to uh, to an operator. Those those search patterns and grids and things like that. I can't tell you how many times I have tried to fly a grid pattern visually with a drone. And uh, we're in Tennessee. All of Tennessee is just trees. All the trees basically look the same. Flying straight lines and grid patterns that don't have gaps in between all of the passes is really tricky for a human. And it's really easy for the artificial intelligence. Now, once you get into talking about that kind of search and rescue operation, the question comes up, why not use fixed wing drones? Because fixed wing drones are far more efficient than quadcopters. Up till now, we've only been talking about the quadcopters, the, the Skydio, the Paradinafi, the DJI drones. Most of the drones that are being sold to law enforcement at this point all are quadcopters. They offer a tremendous amount of maneuverability and stability that uh, a fixed wing doesn't give you, but a fixed wing drone is going to give you way more range, and it's going to be able to stay in the air way, way longer with the exact same battery capacity. So there's a lot more that you could do with it for certain jobs. The biggest limitation with fixed wing drones is usually the connectivity. I remember seeing a video years ago where a guy took uh, a fixed wing drone that had also been made by Parrot, by the way, and he converted it. It was a drone that had been talking to the controller over Wi-Fi, and he managed to convert that to a 4G hotspot. So the the drone itself, uh, its Wi-Fi connection was being routed through a 4G hotspot connected to the cell phone network. And then he did the exact same thing with his controller, and then he was able to fly this drone. It now had... Uh, from a connection perspective, technically unlimited range as long as it stayed connected to the cell phone network. And he was able to fly it uh, from one Hawaiian island to another Hawaiian island and back. This, this drone was in the air for over an hour uh, on its flights to and from these different places uh, because it had the battery for it and that 
fixed-wing design gave it tremendous longevity. And then with this superior um, for-the-purpose connection uh, (laughs) capability, he was able to control this drone with a little bit more latency, uh, way, way, way far away just by relying on the, uh, the cell phone networks. Now, if you're like me, you don't want to totally rely on the cell phone networks, but fixed-wing drones have some pretty significant capabilities as far as just that ability to be in the sky for an incredibly long time and cover a lot of terrain. So some of this uh, search and rescue type stuff, a lot of the agricultural site surveys, and then obviously the United States military uses fixed-wing drones for a whole bunch of different applications because their ability to travel long distances and be in the air for a long time is incredibly valuable. But there is a downside to that, and that is that once you have a fixed-wing drone flying high and fast, it's fairly difficult to use the camera footage from that drone in the way that most of us plan on using camera drone footage or camera drone feeds. If you want to have a really uh, close-up view of the ground so that you can identify stuff, you're talking about a lens that is extremely long, and the stabilization of that camera system becomes increasingly difficult. Long lenses are just way harder to do than the wide-angle lenses that are on most quadcopter drones. You can buy those by the bushel for not very much. When it comes to longer lenses and more complicated camera systems and the gimbals that those things require, you're entering a whole new uh, level of complexity. In the 60s and 70s, when we were building really complicated camera packages into really high-altitude spy planes like the SR-71 and the U-2, those camera systems were almost as complicated as the vehicle that they were riding in. And then same with satellite camera systems. The satellite camera systems that are being used for surveillance uh, and to take pictures of the surface of the Earth from up in space, those camera systems are more complicated than the satellite that they are technically riding in. And that... That ratio is probably going to be pretty similar with your with your fixed-wing drone. It is super easy to buy or build a foam core fixed-wing drone, get it in the air, and have tremendous flight performance. But being able to get solid, smooth, zoomed-in video footage that you can use for your application out of that thing is, is very difficult. It's... It's interesting how the technologies of stable quadcopters and the technology of really small, lightweight, high-resolution, wide-angle camera lenses, they both kind of happened at the same time. Those things got really cheap and accessible at the same time, and they work great together. Obviously, companies like DJI are building their own cameras, systems to their own spec. They're, they're getting sensors from somebody else. They're, they're setting their lenses up. But a lot of cheaper camera manufacturers, or drone manufacturers, rather, are buying cameras off the shelf. And there are just tons and tons of cameras that you can buy off the shelf that have 4K resolution, 8K resolution, and they have wide to medium angle lenses built in. So if you are a drone manufacturer, that's the way that you are going to go. And that wide angle lens is really, really easy to stabilize compared to a telephoto lens. And it really shows off the capabilities of the drone, which is a combination of speed and stability. So flying a drone around close to the ground, close to the people, close to the action, um, yeah, that's, that's what a quadcopter is used for. And that's one of the reasons that we are seeing so much more quadcopter use in the law enforcement space. I'm seeing more and more of these small commercial drone companies pop up building stuff specifically for for law enforcement use. And I'm seeing people demonstrate stuff like 
clearing houses, or even vehicle searches with small flying drones instead of with other types of robots. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. In uh, my entire life watching police robot technology develop, um, there's been a huge amount of time and effort and money spent on defeating obstacles like stairs or the kind of obstacles that people who barricade themselves into houses set up. So a friend of mine was actually telling me just a few months ago about uh, a situation where uh, he was involved in, uh, in a, uh, an event where a barricaded individual was in his house, and they sent one bomb robot in on its little tank treads. It tried to get up the stairs, and it tipped over. So they sent a second bomb robot in. It tried to climb over the first one, and it tipped over. And those were the two, uh, the two bomb robots that they had defeated by regular stairs. That, uh, that shag carpeting is really a complicated obstacle. So a small flying drone is actually really useful for exploring the inside of a house and getting a much better look around at stuff. These things are small enough and maneuverable enough that I'm actually seeing people demonstrating their use inside of vehicles. I'm not sure if that's being done a whole lot in the real world scenario because vehicles have these things on them called windows. But it's, uh, it is something that I'm seeing in more and more of these commercial law enforcement drone companies demo videos. Guys flying quadcopters around the inside of box vans and 15-passenger vans uh, and even SUVs looking around behind the seats and stuff like that with a, a small quadcopter. So the development of drone technology in this space is, is only going to increase. I think you're going to have a lot of ideas of ways that you could leverage this for yourself, whether or not you are doing site surveys of buildings before you buy them, whether or not you're doing site surveys of property, whether you are trying to uh, use Drone A to uh, <laughs> hook and rescue Drone B that is stuck inside of a tree. There's all kinds of ways in which a flying camera platform is really, really useful. And when you have the capability of adding things like thermal cameras, that search and rescue thing, I cannot uh, emphasize enough how valuable the ability to see thermal signatures from the air really is when you're out looking for somebody who is lost at night. It's not perfect. Uh, it's not something that works all the time, and yet compared to the alternatives, it's magical. Being able to throw multi-spectral cameras on a drone, fly it over a wheat field and see exactly where water is evaporating and exactly where soil density is this and exactly where vegetation density is that on a map, that's pretty amazing. There are a whole bunch of incredible intelligence-based superpowers that come about once you have access to drones. And I didn't even get into the signal intelligence capability. Uh, and I didn't even get into balloons. A lot of the stuff that you could do with a drone, a lot of the advantages of a fixed drone or a tethered drone, you could actually get with a helium balloon. That's something that would be really, really neat. One of the disadvantages with putting a whole lot of radio equipment on top of a drone is that that radio equipment draws a lot of power. So in addition to the weight that that stuff adds uh, as a payload, it's pulling a huge amount of battery power out of the batteries that you are otherwise using to hold the drone up. So... A tethered helium balloon that you can usually have down low and then when necessary, uh, unleash a whole bunch of tether and let it head up to three or 400 uh, feet in the air. That's a pretty interesting thing. Now, I, the F, don't tell the FAA that I said that that was okay, all right? I'm just saying that that's a thing that you could do. You could totally have more than 200 feet of tether on a spool. There's, uh, there's no physical limitations there. Uh, there's, you know, there's the FAA, but there and the FCC, and 
Never mind. But a helium balloon that has a whole bunch of radio antennas on it and some cameras that is connected to a very large and sophisticated power source down below could be up there for days and days and days, being a radio repeater, um, collecting intelligence, possibly being a platform for infrared floodlights. And all of this stuff gets easier as stuff gets miniaturized and people are building stuff that is specific for drones. It's really easy to use that equipment with other platforms. Carry it with a helium balloon. It's it's not that complicated. So uh, all of these developments are things that we should all be keeping an eye on because there are tons of uses. I barely scratched the surface on uses, but I think that you can think through uh, a lot of the different ways that these things would be handy to you personally in a lot of scenarios that you might be in personally. And so I would recommend that uh, that everybody learn more about drone stuff right now. You don't have to become uh, a massive expert, but I think that you should just keep an eye on, A, uh, the commercial drones that are available and what their capabilities are, just so you're, you're familiar with all of the all the limitations and the capabilities. And then B, keep an eye on some of these different companies that are developing stuff in the commercial space because they probably are giving you a better idea of the way that this stuff is being used outside of uh, selfies and YouTube videos. And then B, I'm going to recommend that you get a drone uh, or a drone simulator to practice with. Not a super expensive fancy drone, but I think that uh, being able to fly a drone is a little bit like being able to ride a bike. It's a skill that you should develop because you will probably use it in the future. So either get on your mobile app game store of choice and figure out if there is a highly rated drone simulator that you want to experiment with or buy one of those 50 to to $100 toy drones and um, just get used to the controls. Just figure out how you actually fly it. Just start to build that skill into your brain because I have a theory that it will be uh, a skill that sticks with you like riding a bike. And I have a theory that um, in the future, drones are going to be a little bit like bicycles. We won't use them all the time, but knowing how to use one is uh, often extremely helpful. So thank you very much for listening to Drone Wars Season 2. In the next season or episode or whatever, we're probably going to get more into the practical applications of drones, some of the actual stuff that um, that people are doing or have done, or maybe some of the stuff that is, is right on the on the cusp. Um, there's a whole bunch of little super tiny fixed wing experiments that are happening now where you get some of the benefits of a fixed wing drone, but because they are so small and travel so slowly, you get some of the benefits of a, of a quadcopter. You can actually fly these things uh, slowly and at very low altitudes, so the small wide-angle cameras are less of a handicap. And now you have something that is very tiny and easy to carry with you and potentially can even launch out of a 40-millimeter grenade launcher. I mean out of a 37-millimeter flare launcher. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I meant. So I encourage you to continue your research in this area and uh, keep an eye out for the next time that we talk about drones. Uh, hopefully we can get a little more hands-on in that uh, episode or season or whatever.